podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This week on the Marketers Report, Patrizio Spagnoletto, Global Chief Marketing Officer, Direct to Consumer for Warner Brothers Discovery, weighs in on building trust. Trust is a really hard thing to build and a really easy thing to destroy. And we have to be very respectful about that. Our partnership with iHeart has really helped us build that trust and that relationship with the on-air talent. As the number one audio company, iHeart Media gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the data you need to grow. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. Welcome to a Celtic State of Mind. I'm Paul John Dykes and today I am joined by Anthony Haggerty and Lawrence Connolly for the Axon Bulletin. Plenty to talk about. It's the aftermath of the transfer window and we're asking, are you happy with Celtic's transfer business? I'll come to yourself first, Tony. What's your thoughts on the incomings and the outgoings at Celtic Park? I think it was very much a damp squib because most of the Celtic supporters were concerned with one thing and one thing only, and that was the removal of the manager. I think the majority of Celtic supporters were after that and couldn't really care less who was brought in and who was leaving. In terms of who was brought in, John Joe Kenny, six-month loan, no forward planning there really, is there? Absolutely not. With no option to buy. They let a young goalkeeper, promising young goalkeeper go, I believe, Liam Hughes to Liverpool. Uh, so again, you just look and think, what's going on? Olivier and Sham to Marseille, and if you're to believe that Olivier and Sham wanted to leave, wanted to leave for t- two years, it was said. You know, Lennon said he wanted to leave for two years. Why is he still there? Why did they turn down? Was it seventeen and a half million from Porto? Why turn that down? Whatever it was, and Frimpong to Leverkusen. Well, that's fair enough. And. The least said about the Ben Davis transfer failure, the better. You know, I've never known a club that can't conclude a deal. It's frustrating, Tony, because you're looking at the the calibre of Ben Davis and you, you know we spoke about it yesterday and people say oh Celtic were in a no-win situation Kevin was talking about the power being with the player and I do get that but surely we can get these deals concluded quicker and that, that's been a big criticism of Celtic under Peter Lowell hasn't it? Yeah without a doubt I mean listen if you want Ben Davis you go and get Ben Davis Ben Davis would have been an indication that you were actually planning for the future mm-hmm. right £2 million to me is not a lot of money if that's what it costs. But again, it's that mentality. And you go back to it, you know, the, you had the the premise where the, the news was put out there that he had signed the deal and everybody's hopes were up. And then all of a sudden there's a snag. And as soon as you hear the word of a snagger, it's not concluded. He takes you back to the most infamous deal in the club's history in 89 with Morris Johnson, where they paraded him at Celtic Park and, and the deal hadn't been done. You know, so again, a leakage of news to a certain uh, media outlet to say this this has been done when it clearly hadn't been done. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and, and see if you're if you're smart and you're clever, you, you know what Preston North End want for this guy. You know the you know the ins and outs. That's when Brendan Rodgers came and he suddenly snapped up Mr. Dembele for fifty grand, sold him for nineteen million quid. That's about knowing who's out there. What players are available? Can you get them yet? Go and get them. Go and do the deal. I've never known a club like it to drag their heels in so many uh, 
transfer deals and, and, and can't conclude a business deal like Celtic. It, it, it's it's unbelievable, really. It is. It's disappointing, and to use Neil Lennon's very, um, you know, common phrase, it's bitterly disappointing. Tony, when you you look at Ben Davis, and he's been his name's been flying about. Lawrence, I'm going to come to you in a second because you're looking at so I'm ignoring you. But, you know, his name's been flying about for a while. He's been connected to Celtic and linked with Celtic for some time. So there is a, a, a real sense of disappointment. And then you look at the fact that we need to be able to conclude these deals. Uh, the news that John uh, John Joe Kenny was coming, I think it was probably Lawrence that actually broke that to me on, on the WhatsApp group. And you look at him, comes with a great calibre, really chuffed it, we've got a right back in. But as you say again, where's the forward planning? We're getting a guy games for another team really we're, we're getting games in his leg if, so, legs so that he can go back to Everton um, Lawrence what about your own thoughts I mean I'm going to come back to the, the young goalie that, that left because that's part of a wider issue I think at Celtic with the young guys leaving for all and sundry um, but we'll come back to it on Tony I'm glad you brought it up Lawrence what was your thoughts uh, January sometimes is quite underwhelming uh, when it comes to transfers but it, you know we're at that stage where we're almost in purgatory you know you've got a manager there who were, were expecting to leave you've got an incoming CEO we're still doing business and who's identifying the players, who's having this final say who knows uh, what was your overall thoughts at the conclusion of the transfer window Desperate for a centre half we don't get Matt McKenzie, we don't get Ben Davies you've got to get your first choice signings well, most clubs need to get their first choice signings we don't, we always get our second, third, fourth, or, or, or no centre halves so we'll be playing Shane Duffy again, who costs us almost a goal again. Frimpong going, great profit on him, he wants to go go. Uh, Cham going, you know, I'm not disappointed to see Cham going. A bit disappointed in the fees, as Tony said, you know, Porto were willing to sell in big bucks a year or so ago. Got cheaper. But, you know, we're desperate for a centre-half, everyone can see it. <laughs> We've got a right back in. You're just like, what? Really? Yeah. It, it, it reeks to me, Lawrence, you're bringing the right back in, let's move higher back into the centre, there's there's the problem solved. I mean, I, I do obviously watch the, the the press conferences with Neil Lennon and others with interest, particularly Neil Lennon. Uh, some may say I'm over-analysing it, but you need to try and get some kind of uh, information from the manager. And, you know, yesterday when he was asked about whether or not he would be going for a centre-half after the breakdown of the Ben Davis deal, he, he basically said, I'll, I'll be happy to run with what I've got. I mean... I just don't think we learn from our mistakes. All it takes, Tony, is another um, you know, injury to the likes of Duffy, who for me isn't playing well enough to be getting a starting jersey anyway, and we're going back to young players with very little experience. Again, it goes back to what we've said from August, really, or, or, or before. There's been no forward planning this season at all, in any shape or form. No preparation for having a real tilt at the ten. Flying by the seat, I think you'll call it, you know, call it arrogance, call it complacency. And to all intents and purposes, it looks as if a lot of people seem to have chucked it and just want the season to peter out. If Celtic are in a fight to guarantee second place, that that would be the ultimate slap in the face for this season if they cannot guarantee second place. See, the big thing for, for me on that point, Tony, and it is a, a relevant point, uh, I was looking at Aberdeen, obviously Cosgrove's away um, and you know are they coming out stronger probably not um, obviously rights away to Rangers as well but I looked at Hibs and I thought Hibs were pretty bold uh, in respect to the fact that there was two offers on the table one for Porteous one for Nisbet and they, they held firm rather than taking I think maybe four million combined uh, for those two players so yeah in the past we might have been in a situation where we've gone into the transfer market and strengthened a wee bit Hibs have had to sell a couple of players but now I think your point stands I don't think Aberdeen are stronger after this window but I think Hibs are as strong as they were before certainly that's his biggest statement of intent from Hibs saying we're going to try and chase you down for the second place mm-hmm. if we can than anything that's them saying, we think you're vulnerable. We're going to have a crack at it. We're holding on to our two biggest assets. We're turning down good money. And that's big mm-hmm. for a club that has to do that. They obviously think that they can uh, chase Celtic down and, and maybe sneak second place. Whether it's possible, I don't know. But again, Celtic play tonight, and can you guarantee them a result in a place where they've traditionally struggled? Oh, there no. you go. 
I know, I know. See, the big thing for me, I'll come at yourself, Lawrence. I mean, Hibs have been guilty in the past of having a clutch of players and then allowing them um, to to disassemble all over the place, often to Celtic Park, as it happens. And I mean, we, we remember the, the the potentially great side that was coming through at the time of Scott Brown and Derek Ward and et, et al. I think that what you've said, Tony, is is spot on it's very very accurate it's a statement of intent now I think what will happen also is the opposite to what happened to in Cham and we'll come back to him in a second whereby a player down, downs tools I think the opposite will happen with Kevin Nisbet because his form has been suffering at Hibs uh, in the last month or two and it could have been with a view to obviously agents are putting um, ideas in players minds Tony there's this club after you there's that club after you this kind of wage has been discussed etc and it does turn the player's head now he knows he's at Easter Road to the end of the season if he gets back to his best form um, and you know he's a cracking player took people talking about him in the Scotland kind of set up etc then again Hibs are firing on all, on all cylinders. Where are we looking? We're looking at Lee Griffiths, who came off uh, at half-time. Uh, you can read between the lines between Lee Griffiths' interview and Neil Lennon's interview. It's obviously due to the fact that um, there's a fitness issue or he's not doing as he's being asked. You're then going down the pecking order to Ayeti, who's not got form, Klamala, who's not got form, Edward, albeit scored at the weekend. He's not, you know, he's not hit his top form. If Hibs do and we don't, I take your point. I actually, I'm looking at that that league table, and I can't take anything for granted. Lawrence Conley. Listen, I think we've got to worry about Livingston as well. We've got 13 games to catch 13 points. They're banging form. You're dropping. You, you know, look at our January form. They're dropping more than a point a game. So, you know, if it continues like this, Livingston will take us. Never mind, it's another team. That, that, that's where we are sitting, and we're leaking goals. It is the return of the sieve. Right, through, we're weak in the centre of defence. We identified two targets. Don't get any of them. And don't, don't don't even have a period of a third option. It's just mind-boggling that <laughs> you know it's kind of the new McKenzie was not an option early doors. Stoney says, you know, what is it with, with Davies we couldn't do? If it's two million, you know, to get him down, even you know, get the pre-contract signed, make sure he signs it, then negotiate the testing. We don't do anything, we, do, we put an offer in front of him, don't get it signed. We know football, you know that player's gonna walk away and go, This is what I've got for Celtic to his agent. Can you get me better elsewhere? Because until I sign for Celtic, I'm not down. This is the this is the minimum I'm getting on my move. Mm-hmm. Celtic's negotiation. What I, I, I don't know. Did we just leave him with a contract and say, but you know. One word, Lawrence, one word, complacency. And, and I think complacency has crept into every single facet of Celtic Football Club this season. Now, I've got to say there's another guest just waiting in the wings, Kevin Graham. We're going to bring him on um, as, a, as a substitute. He's used to that during his playing career. We're going to bring him in because he's got a few words to say. Obviously, Kevin was on the bulletin yesterday talking about the affiliation meeting and he wants to clear something up. So I'm going to invite Kevin into the broadcast and we'll get back to our points on the transfer business um, in a few moments. Kevin Graham, welcome to the show. Good afternoon, Paul. Afternoon, Tony. Afternoon, Lawrence. How are you today? Not too bad. Not too bad. Uh, Just a wee update. Uh, Sun's caught fire this morning, which I misinterpreted from the meeting last week. Um, I've had an update from Celtic this morning uh, regarding um, the affiliation made a proposal for Celtic to for the players to make Zoom calls to fans, uh, season ticket holders. Uh, and that was made on the 18th of December. Basically, I, I thought they said it had been rejected. It hasn't been rejected. It just hasn't been progressed yet. So everybody is catching fire and and and, uh, and uh, getting on John Paul Taylor's back this morning. He's can all stand down. It, it was my fault. I misinterpreted it. Misheard what he actually says, and I think he's had a bit of a hellier morning for it. So everybody, everybody is sort of moaning and shouting at, at JP in the club. He's can he's can stand down on this one. This has been my fault. Or just start shouting at you, Kev. Just start shouting at me. I know. Yeah. I know. I'm barring, I'm barring myself for meetings and note taking. The, the now listen, Kevin. I've I've got to say, you know. 
fair play to you for coming on if you made an error and you're coming in uh, to set the record straight fair play to you I've not seen much uh, responsibility being accepted by uh, our illustrious leader this season we'll get back to his press conference uh, that he gave yesterday but no Kevin Graham that, that's fair play so basically to clarify there has been a proposal made to the club that the players contact some of the more vulnerable supporters this season via Zoom and that is something that is, is still uh, under consideration, something that's being progressed, I guess. Uh, the players are not aware of it, so they haven't rejected anything. So I know we're getting on the players' back, but this is something we can't get on their backs about because they're unaware of the proposal. I don't know if that erupted on Twitter this morning. I haven't had time to check that. Maybe I won't log into the acts on Twitter then. Uh, I, I'll, I'll, be, I'll be on the acts on Twitter because JPA tagged us in it. So, <laughs> Kevin... Sorry, you're, one, you're one of these players I think back to a game when Joe Miller was brought on as a sub and then Billy McNeil took him back off that's happening right now before you, <laughs> before you cause any more trouble but you will be back tonight for the game yes hopefully we'll get a victory tonight and I'll, I'll, I will have recovered from my faux pas Kevin do you want to continue with us today or you got other things to do other people to upset I'm actually working, so I need to disappear. Right, no problem. We're going to sub you back off. Thanks for joining us, pal. Thank you. Fair play. If you make a wee faux pas, come on and explain yourself and uh, take a wee bit of heat off of JP because I don't think he needs any more heat, Tony. See, on that note, Paul, I I think it's incumbent upon Celtic players to meet the fan base anyway. See, me personally, I'd have a clause inserted into every Celtic player's contract Every week, you either attend a supporters function or you meet a branch of the Celtic supporters after training once a week and touch base with as many of the fans as you can because it's a Celtic thing and it's the right thing to do. And you've Tell got a lot of spare time as a footballer and it's a humane touch, right? Nothing better than being part of a club and seeing one of your idols come to your function or even just turn up. And I'd make it, I'd make it a a clause, I'd insert a clause into the contract. That's what you do. It's the Celtic thing to do. This week on the Marketers Report, Patrizio Spagnoletto, Global Chief Marketing Officer, direct to consumer for Warner Brothers Discovery, weighs in on building trust. Trust is a really hard thing to build and a really easy thing to destroy. And we have to be very respectful about that. Our partnership with iHeart has really helped us build that trust and that relationship with the on-air talent. As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the data you need to grow. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. It's the Marketer's Report. This week, Patrizio Spagnoletto, Global Chief Marketing Officer, Direct to Consumer for Warner Brothers Discovery, weighs in on the difficult task of building and retaining consumer trust. Trust is a really hard thing to build and a really easy thing to destroy, and we have to be very respectful about that. Our partnership with iHeart has really helped us build that trust and that relationship with the on-air talent. The best thing for us to do is to build a relationship with our consumers. And if those consumers have a relationship with the DJs that are on air, then we want to build on that. House of the Dragon, which was one of our most successful, if not the most successful campaign we've ever done for a show, audio was a core part of that. As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. Not just a media company, iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. Yeah, Lawrence, you were saying there, Paul. Tommy Burns brought that back. Now, obviously, it's stopped now, but he brought that back when he came in as manager. You know, yeah. He used to players your, your end of season dances or whatever, or any meetings you want, just phone the club, you get a player. The big so, thing. You know, two players. Of course, Sometimes, yeah. yeah. I mean, I would make them do it once a week, Lawrence. No, at least yep. once a week. Yeah. And go around as many, and not just in Glasgow, go to, you know, the Hebrides and all that, go everywhere and meet every Celtic supporter from around the country. Or, and so, or, some of the players could stay in the Hebrides uh, this season, if you ask me, Tony. But, you know what I mean? Just just die, don't come back. Anyway, th- that springs to mind, though, back in the day, because I think we're all of a, a certain vintage, but back in the day, I've been told from guys like Chris Morris, for example, that Billy McNeil used to have the big folder, didn't he? And it would be going through all the requests. And like you say, they might get sent to an open CSC night, and it was part of their duties. And, you know, he would have it on a basis whereby you wouldn't go every week, but 
it would be your turn eventually. And that's where the whole story around the, th- the fields of and Rye came in. I, I'm going to remind you of this one, because Chris Morris was on an early episode of Celtic State of Mind when it was an audio-only pod- podcast. Very quick story. So anyway, he would go to these CSC dances and he didn't know anything like it. He had played with Sheffield Wednesday previously and they had nothing like that. So he was going to all these dances and he, he came back one, one week and said to Peter Grant, you know, I keep going to these dances, but, you know, they expect me to sing a song and I don't know what my, my party piece is going to be. So Granty says to him, listen, Chris, just stand up, right, and just start singing, hail, hail, he says, and before you can get anywhere, they'll all join in. And he was like, all right, great idea. So he starts doing that for a few of these dances. Then he's on international duty with the Republic Island, that brilliant uh, era side under Jack Charlton. We all loved watching him in the finals and the journey was superb. And Niall Quinn, who's a big Celtic fan. And again, I'm not name dropping, but we had Niall Quinn on a previous episode of A Celtic State of Mind as well. So check us out on YouTube. It's in there um, or on iTunes. And Niall Quinn asked him, what's it like playing for Celtic, etc. I'd have loved Niall Quinn in a Celtic jersey back then. But Chris Morris tells him this wee funny tale. But Niall Quinn's right into his, um, what would you call it, traditional Irish folk songs. And he says to Chris Morris, you know, oh, you've got to sing something better than that. So they, they room together and he starts playing on this tape and it's the Fields of and Rye, right? So Chris Morris, the next CSC event he goes to, he's learned all the words. So he gets the mic, he's to sing a song and he sings the Fields, right? And he claims that it was because of that that the Celtic fans started singing it at games because that one supporters club introduced it to a game. So he's having that in the, in the folklore Celtic football club. Even if it's no accurate, Chris Morris is having it. He's responsible for bringing that song to Celtic Park. How good is that? There you go. That's a great story, actually. Like superb, that. superb. When, when did you hear that? So, I mean, I, I remember, people tell me maybe late 80s, early 90s. I remember the Hamden season. I, I can't really remember it before then. The Fields of and Riot at Celtic Park. I've got to be honest, I'd be stumped to say I could pin it down. Mm-hmm. It's a tough one. It's a tough one. People say that we walk on as well when we're trying to claim uh, that we sang it first. When was the first, the first time? I know I'm, I'm digressing a wee bit, but it's worthwhile. Somebody actually contacted me and said that um, their granddad um, was at the 7-1 game, 1957, and they started singing Walk On because they were mocking the Rangers fans leaving early walk on and they started singing it so he was saying it would be great if this old guy got interviewed once so that we could finally say to Liverpool we sang it first right I don't know if that'll ever happen but anyway as I say I digress fair play to, to Kevin it would be great to have more of a connection with the players it's almost as if we've moved into an era Tony even as, as a journalist talk to us about journalism talk about the, the kind of relationships you're able to, to build up with the players back then when you were doing that job fairly recently I mean, the higher up you went in terms of footballers, it was it became kind of impossible to bond with players, you know. But you can bond with the likes of Motherwell players, St. Man players, Livingston players, Dundee United players, because you turned up and then on a kind of recycle basis, you know, you were there once a week, command up players. So you get to know people. But I was always of the opinion that. Uh, you don't want to become too friendly with players per se because you might have to make that phone call one day and you know you know conflict of interest stuff but you can't help it if you're seeing someone on a repetitive basis you, you do form bonds and I get very close to James McPake who's now the manager of Dundee get very close to Robbie Nielsen the manager of Hearts you know guys like that who I love dearly I get very close to John Hughes you know now manager of Ross County I was close to Tommy Wright you know, because you see them regularly, you know, and you form that relationship and, and bond with them. You know, players were always a bit more standoffish, you know, because they, they were like, right, okay, they're, they're them and us. But the ones that, that were, you did have that relationship with it. It was, it was terrific, you know. It's, you, you know, I mean, I'm really friendly with Neil Lennon, as I've said before. I was friends with, you mentioned Derek Riordan earlier, and Derek Riordan gave me a, I actually, one of the first times I got the front, back and the inside spread of the daily record, Derek Ryerden told me that he and Gary O'Connor trampled his uncle's ashes into Celtic Park. And you're not allowed to do that because you get so many requests. 
And Derek, there's footage of Derek Ryan and Gary O'Connor running onto the park when they were playing for Hibs and trampling his uncle's ashes. His uncle sadly passed away because he committed suicide. And he told me all of this. And he said the first person to phone him when he signed for Celtic was David Murray, the Rangers chairman, to say he'd signed for the wrong club because Rangers were in for him at the time as well. I think he's... Uh, he, he's, one side of the family was all Hibs, second, the other side of the family was Celtic fans, and he did it in memory of his uncle. He signed for Celtic in memory of his uncle, and obviously he died and he got his ashes. And you see them, they, he's got a, it's a velvet pouch, and mm-hmm. that's of them trampling it in. And, and, and that's not allowed because so many people want to do that, mm-hmm. and seemingly it's not allowed. And you know, and that, that was just he sat there, you know, I was supposed to be doing his column. And I sat in front of him, and he gave me all of this, and it was just it was wow, sensational stuff. You know, as I say, he made the front, the back, and the inside, and you know, days like that won't come along often. But he told me because I was really friendly with him. Mm-hmm. You know, just uh, it was just one of those that I, I kind of grew up watching that Hibs team. I was really friendly with Stephen Fletcher. I was friendly enough with Gary O'Connor, with guys like that, because I was in the Edinburgh beat at that time. Mm-hmm. Get to know these guys and. Once they see you and they see you a lot, it becomes that kind of, oh, how you doing? And, you know, you're just, they're human beings like you and I. You know, they, they, they love football. You're doing a job. You're, they're doing a job. You know, if you respect them, they'll respect you. Yeah, definitely. See the big thing, there was a massive change, obviously. We talk about modern football. People reckon that the modern game changed. Uh, maybe with the introduction of the Premier League down in England, I remember it well. Don't you forget about me, the adverts, all that kind of stuff, 92, 93. And we moved into the realms of players becoming untouchable. I think at Celtic, one of the big parts was when we stopped training at Barrafield. Now, I know we needed we needed to upgrade the training facilities. It was a long time overdue. I mean, you speak to people like, you know, David Proven, who signed in the late 70s, and he says, you know, they needed to improve it back then. He tells a story about when Johan Cruyff came over with the Ajax team, I think, was it 82 or 83, Lawrence, you can maybe correct me, and, and they thought that Celtic were winding them up when they offered them Barrafield. They were like, no, really, where is the training facilities? You know, they actually thought, and they're looking at it thinking, use one, a European Cup training here. But obviously we know that they had to improve it, but there used to be that camaraderie, I guess, between players moving for Celtic Park up to Barrafields. Some would drive, some would walk. I mean, a big part of it was lost when we moved. Lawrence, would you agree? Definitely. I mean, but McCann put aside quite a few million and all the board only had to match it. And we didn't. I think you gave them five years to match it. We didn't. We didn't upgrade 10 ages to go to Lennonstown. But yeah, mm-hmm. watching them at Barrafield, you know, and ripping into Belvedere Hospital to get a cheap lunch. And, or if you went... We be over there, coffee across the road for the hospital. Some of the players used to stop and get a old sausage if they were walking back to the gate, you know, to, to back here to get their cars. So you, you get you got to meet them and kind of see them. You know, there's a bit more, as you said, a bit, bit more of a relationship, a bit more in touch, a bit of banter with them. Definitely, definitely lost. I mean, I know we're upgrading Barrafield now. Up. We had plans to upgrade it. Yeah, I think there's a women's team we're going to play there. Mm-hmm. Is it 5,000 seater they're going to put in? Interesting. But, We'll see what happens from it if we go ahead. I remember when Amaral came along, came along no cadets, mate. There was 5,000 people. You remember? Yeah. <laughs> I was one of them, yeah. Something huh? up for the training game. Then we didn't mm-hmm. sign him. <laughs> but, uh, you know, it was... He had similar hair to Cadetti, but I don't think he had similar talents, Lawrence. Um, now, Kevin Graham's obviously now been scored off the list of fans that players will be phoning to make sure he's okay. Uh, and one of the players who won't be making any phone calls is Olivia in Cham. It's a bit for me looking at this situation, you know, yeah, time was right for him to go. Uh, some might say it should have been in the summer, but it just turns into, you know, for me, it's a, a situation with a player who had so much talent you look back to even last season uh, you know his final mo- his finest moment in a Celtic jersey against Lazio away undoubted talent didn't do it often enough for Celtic but my biggest frustration is the deal that we've done 
So we were talking about this yesterday and someone had sent me a link to a, a French website who were talking about a 10 million euro deal. Um, and the, obviously the permanent deal will be something more in the region of four and a half, which I think is there or thereabouts what we paid for them. Tony, I don't think we've done a good bit of business here with Encham. Yeah, right from to go. But um, he's regressed massively and obviously his, his values dropped hugely. Two things. Yeah. Right, first of all, his value. Now, if somebody offers you, like Porto did, 17.5 million quid for an unhappy player, then you would have sold him, surely. If we're led to believe that that's the offer that came in. This guy was unhappy for two years. He should have gone then because you weren't going to get any more money than that. That's that's probably the highest you could have got for a little and sham. But I... And Sham was one of the most frustrating players at the club. He had he had ability, he had it in abundance, but again, you go back to that phrase, he was just consistently inconsistent. Sometimes he would do great things, other times he looked as if he couldn't pass the ball six yards square. You know, and, and you see he had his moments, he had the goal against Lazio, but they were too infrequent. He, he couldn't be trusted. I never once seen in Sham grab a game by the scruff of the neck, and I mean really grab it and be that man. Arguably maybe the, the game where he scored the winner against Rangers, the 1-0 game, he had a, a decent game then, but you can't look at Sham's highlights real and say, I remember that game he was outstanding, I remember that game he was outstanding. Because they don't exist. There was a bunches of a player who possessed some talent. You know, and if somebody, as I say, Porto had have offered Celtic that money I don't know what they were thinking and to to sell them or, or the, the sell on clause is the same as what you bought them for then why did you buy them this, this was a player that was to be developed and sold for multi-millions and then you go back to he's now regressed so we talked about regression the other day with Frimpong so surely it's down to the way you're being coached and that fault lies upon the management team and the management structure then surely Mm-hmm. Another big worry for me, Tony, we've spoke about it on the podcast a few times, um, is the, the the sheer raft of young players who haven't even kicked a ball for the first team who are on their way. You've already mentioned that uh, Liam Hughes went to Liverpool. Again, we'll get back to goalkeepers in a moment because how much of a um, an error is that? Because we don't really have a you know uh, an embarrassment of riches when it comes to goalkeepers at the moment. Liam Morrison, Bayern Munich, Barry Hepburn, Bayern Munich, Conor Mc- Bray, Blackburn Rovers, Josh Adam Manchester City, there's talk that um, Ocoflex has got interest in Italy, Dembele has got interest in France again, Lawrence Connolly, does this come back to the point that if you had someone at the helm someone who was a focal point of the football department that you wanted to play for that was a a name and a profile and and a renowned coach then we wouldn't be losing these players, or am I being too harsh on Neil Lennon? Is it more of a case that in Scottish football it's hard for young players to progress now from youth football to the first team with, with, with a lack of a reserve league? I think it's a mix of things. You know, not having a reserve league, they need to play develop, and it's too big a step up between the level they're playing and the first team. So they know they're not going to develop. We've started putting out players on loan, but, but we didn't barely. We know he's not signing a new contract. If we loaned them out two or three years ago, you know, might have signed a new contract if he developed. If nothing else, he'd have put his value up. Mm-hmm. You know, so we do lose and we get more money. But there's that gap, and I know we're saying like we need the Colts in the lower leagues. So now, you know, we're just going to keep hemorrhaging players. If they're not playing and not developing, they're not going to stay. And you don't want to keep players that aren't developing, that aren't first team ready. So you, I suppose it's quite a rock and hard place. So some it's the manager, some it's the coaching. But I think the main thing's the reserve league. If they're not getting challenging games to play in, it's going to develop in games. That's it. You know, you, you hear about all the old players, you know, like Cox, the kids who know the book, you know, we got to play in the reserves when the Lisbon Lions would drop in when they're coming back for injury. What an education we got playing with them. Yeah. It, it, it's, it's not there for them. Even when you used to go and watch the reserves when they played at Parafield, they'd move it up to Selig Park, you know, 10 minutes notice because a few years had turned up at Parafield. You go on and you'd see... You know, the first team has come back and you can hear them talking to young players through the game. Mm-hmm. They played against quality players. It was the same, you know, remember a Motherwell team, the coach was a manager, but it was turning out for Motherwell reserves. You know, so you, 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 you strikers were getting to play, you know, against a really tough centre-half to play against. 
it, it's just missing. The, I, I think the biggest part of it is probably the reserve league. But I want to ask the manager and the coaching as well. That even if you've got the manager and the coaching right, to develop the guys properly, we need competitive games that challenge them. Mm-hmm. I don't know getting that challenging at, at the unders level. They're just not. So you can see why they're looking elsewhere. And even in Scotland, if you look to Muddle, Muddle can make a pitch to them. Can't be us. If you're any good, you're in the first team, you're playing SPFL football. Yes. Yeah. You know, come to Celtic, we maybe loan you out. If you get really good, we won't get loaned out because in case we get an injury, so you just won't get loaned out and won't get compared at matches. If you're no so good, we'll loan you out because we can take the risk that we won't need to call you up to the first team. It's, it's not a good pitch. It's a difficult one, Lawrence. Now, this is a different situation from one that has also been spoken about on a Celtic state of mind whereby players like Stephen O'Donnell, um, Declan Gallagher, Andy Robertson, you know, Arne Hickey, who have been at Celtic, they've been freed, they've gone on and have had a decent career. This is a different situation. These are guys that you know, ordinarily we would like to keep, but they're being romanced elsewhere, and uh, these other clubs are coming in and obviously promising some, promising them something that they can't get at Celtic Park. Now, even back in the Quality Street Gang days, Lawrence, you know, players such as Jimmy O'Rourke was in and about that, Rap Prentice, Jim Holton, even Graham Souness, believe it or not, was in and about the training sessions at, at that time, and Celtic didn't sign them. So it happens, but this is a slightly different situation now, I feel whereby we're paying into the youth development system, pro-youth. You've got all these academies all over the country, but they're hitting a ceiling. And at that point, they're not progressing, certainly at Celtic Park. So you think about, right, the Reserve League's gone. It's a thing of the past. It'll it'll take far too much money uh, that clubs simply don't have to set it back up again and run it. Because that was the reason that was, um, you know, one of the reasons why it's no longer with us anyway. Clubs were struggling actually to run a second team, some clubs. So we're at a situation now where the, the pro youth's all in place. So what do we do? Do we bring the coach teams in? And then... You have the argument from teams who are in the lower reaches of Scottish football, sixth and seventh tier, saying, well, why would a Celtic or an Aberdeen side or a Rangers side leapfrog us and end up in tier three or tier four? So I've spoken to our friends at Haddington Athletic. I think they're in tier seven. They've done well in the Scottish Cup this year. And the way they look at it is, well, why doesn't a club come to us and give us four or five players? I think the maximum six, isn't it? I think the rule six. Give us the guys for a season. They might be 17 or 18. Don't underestimate the actual uh, level of the game at seventh tier because it's better than youth football. You're playing up against ex-pros. You're playing up against decent footballers. So there's there's a few options. Tony Haggerty, you've, you've lived through, obviously, the reserve. Um, boom. I mean, I remember Celtic Rangers games getting 12,000 at Celtic Park in Ibrox. Um, what do you think we need to do differently looking forward? And I think this should be part of the restructure of Celtic moving into the summer. Yeah, I mean, you talk about disconnect you know, on various levels. But there's clearly a disconnect from these youth players who, as Lawrence has rightly identified, and you said, hit this glass ceiling because they don't have competitive football. Now, the answer, well, everybody seems to think the answer is having cult teams in, you know, the, the, lower, the lower leagues. But as you, if you've rightly pointed out, you know, Harrington will take four or five Celtic players if they were allowed. But why should the Colt teams just be parachuted in? Because it's going to only suit Celtic Rangers Aberdeen, isn't it, really? It's not going to suit other clubs who are ambitious and trying to, to work their way through that system. I, I use my own local team, East Cobride FC, who've been trying for a while and failed in playoffs and stuff like that. You know, but they managed to get through to play Celtic in Scottish Cup a few years ago, but a lot of money from that which was terrific for them. But they're doing the right things. So why should they be punished by a Colts team or Colts team just parachuting into where they want to want to be, you know, and they've spent a lot of money chasing that dream. So, you know, there's that argument. And I, and I can see I can see all sides of the argument, to be honest. You know, but how you solve it, I mean, Lawrence is buying on the money with the Reserve League. It's about playing competitive football. Mm-hmm. Youth, youth leagues are just not competitive young players trying to make it in the game so they have to go somewhere to get competitive football which is why the likes of Motherwell Hearts Hibs Aberdeen clubs like that will always hold that ace card because they can say to a young player you ain't going to get first team football at Parkhead or Ibrox come to us because you've got the potential that we believe you have 
we will go into this first team within, and they'll give them a time frame, mm-hmm. six months, a year. And for a youngster, that's not a long time. If they think, great, I'll be playing first team Scottish Premiership football within six months in a year, that's enticing. That's why a lot of young kids decide, you know what, I'm leaving Celtic, I'm leaving Rangers, I'm going to go there and try and become a big player at an Aberdeen or Mother. If you're that good, you will end up, you know, doing an Andy Robertson. Yeah. Yeah. You know, resurrecting your career and then you might find that Celtic or Rangers go back in for you and have to pay over the odds for someone <clears throat> who they deemed wasn't quite good enough. I know. See, the big thing, I always remember Falkirk for a number of years, Tony, were doing so well in rearing youth, young talent, and selling them every so often, selling a player down south. And they'd done so, so well with that, didn't they? And now they don't even have that facility. Yeah, they, they took the fourth Valley Academy away from them, didn't they? Which, mm-hmm. which is where they you know, they got all their youngsters. And, I, I, and I, it's a shame, but as you say, it's, it's just all down to cost. Clubs just can't simply afford to run a second team. Mm-hmm. It is. It's frustrating. The cost, yes. The SFA could regulate they've got to run a second team. Because cost is a choice thing. They've got money, but they just spend it on the first team. It's like having an AstroTurf pitch. You can afford a grass pitch, but you want to put AstroTurf in because you want to be able to pay more wages to your first team and reduce your maintenance costs. So, as a club or as a country, if we've got a vision for football that we want news to develop, we want it paid in grass. These are things we can regulate. I mean, we regulate things like all-seater stadiums, you know, which I don't know what that done for the development of football players. Surely we could regulate grass pitches and run in a second team. That's something that's going to develop the game more than an all-seater stadium. I, I totally agree with that, Lawrence. But as I say, I, I just think clubs, as you say, are reluctant to throw money at a second team. That's the bottom line, you know. A wee message coming in from Stephen O'Hare. We feel your pain, Stephen. Tough listening these days. We have got to get a new management team in now. I think today we've actually veered away from the, the doom and gloom a wee bit and we've been talking about the good old days. However, we will have to talk about tonight's game and obviously the, the pretext of all of that. Um, yeah, transfers for me, it was a difficult situation because I get the feeling, even though Neil Lennon seems to believe that he's going to be part of the rebuild, that there are plans in place and you get sent rumours all the time don't you uh, WhatsApp rumours and uh, through your DMs on Twitter etc you never know quite what to believe unless you get it from a really trusted source Tony we're in a, a dreadful running form uh, one win in 2021 we're going to a historically difficult venue uh, as an away day for Celtic um, I mean tonight we said it last week does it make any difference what actually happens now with regards to the results because we've had so many Tony Mowbray moments we've had so many John Barnes moments where you expect the breaking news the following day to be the departure of Neil Lennon do you honestly think that no matter what happens between now and the end of the season he's going to be the gaffer it certainly seems to be shaping up that way I pointed it out the last time I was on Celtic have won 8 out of the last 24 competitive games that's an exact third. I mean, that's just no good enough at any level. Never mind being the manager of Celtic. You know, when I say we've got, we've got to call Marnock and Celtic traditionally have never turned up at every part. They can't play in that surface. But the results are paramount now because they have to secure second place. It's not as if they've got a, a massive points differential. They haven't. So they have to start screwing the nut and getting down to business and, and at least securing that. Mm-hmm. But, but the way the season has gone, it would be the ultimate failure to, you know, not to finish as runners-up. Ultimate failure. And, I, you know, you, you sort of sit there and you think, OK, but you don't have any faith in them securing second place at this minute in time. You don't have any faith in them getting results. Did Saturday surprise you? Not really, because there was two teams on the park, but one team seemed to be playing for the manager, and they weren't playing in green and white. 
someone, uh, quite a few people actually, Tony, are, I, I was diverted, my attention was diverted there. Some of the comments are coming in telling us that uh, during a press conference, um, Andre Villaboas, the Marseille manager, has resigned during a press conference. I don't know if it's got anything to do with Encham um, signing for Marseille, but it just shows you that all over, all over Europe, you know, these managerial changes are happening. Um, but we seem to still be in purgatory at the moment. We are every day we're coming in, people are calling it Groundhog Day. Um, how do we tackle that? Because I'm not going to stop doing a daily bulletin. I think it's a necessity and we've done it all the way through uh, lockdown. We're going to keep doing it. The way we try and tackle it, Tony, keep it fresh. I'm going to be here most days, unfortunately for some of you, but we do try and have you know, a team of contributors and I think the contributors are fantastic. Different views. There's no narrative. This is a big thing. There is no narrative to Axom. Everybody has their own view. And I've had some strong views given to me that I disagreed with, but you soften sometimes to the view and then you start looking at it differently. And that's what it's all about. The debate's brilliant. And we're going to have that every single day. We're going to keep that up. And uh, some of the same names are, are still being uh, looked at by Celtic fans. Connor Kelly comes on to tell us that it looks as though Benitez is set for Napoli. Um, clubs are going to you know, go out and get the best talent out there. And I think that's one of the biggest concerns for me. If Celtic, let's use Ben Davis as an example, Lawrence. So we, we fancy the player. Of course we do. We offer him a deal. But we don't get the deal over the line. Someone else is out there. And that's what's happening with the managers as well. I mean, at this moment in time, I think most people will know we have got a, an interview coming up later on today um, I'm going to say it's 6 o'clock but I'll confirm that on the Twitter page I've never got near Twitter today unfortunately but we're going to be interviewing Mark Hughes Mark Hughes has dropped down to 17 to 1 um, in terms of the Celtic job what I would prepare everybody for is Mark Hughes and Mark Bowen are far too respectful to fellow managers um, to be asked questions directly about Neil Lennon's position but we are able to ask him a question uh, which will give you an idea as to what his aspirations would be should Celtic come and ask him if he wants to come up the road so it's a very interesting interview it's with a guy who I've done a lot of research on recently um, because I remember him as a player he was, he, was, he was an astonishing player Mark Hughes but looking into his managerial career I think when we started talking about Mark Hughes it probably was 70-30 against but as time has developed people are looking at what he has achieved in management and I get probably the comments maybe 50-50 now people would some wouldn't it's all about opinions what's your thoughts yourself Lawrence uh, obviously we'll be hearing from Mark Hughes at about 6 o'clock tonight Blackburn City was the most expensive manager then most expensive compensation fee for a manager in the City something like that wasn't it world records yeah. Yeah, well, he was absolutely flying then. I actually didn't think he'd done enough to get sacked by City. He wasn't performing badly, but City just needed so much money, wasn't it? They just well, well, you're not the best manager in the world, so we'll sack you. It doesn't matter how good you are. If you're not perceived to be the best manager in the world to get sacked, he's been kind of mixed bag since then. Snuck at Stoke for a while. You know, not a player. You know, he was deadly in there, lethal in the deck. You know, I think. His teams, anything I've seen, you know, they're attacking teams. Uh, I think he'd, you know, he'd be a definite contender. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, we'd, we'd be da- we'd be daft to shove his CV in a draw, wouldn't we? Yeah, you know, if it, if it comes in. Going back to Rafa Benitez, yeah. Um, see, the big thing for me with Mark Hughes, yeah, looking at the managerial career, he went to Wales, he was still a player when he went to Wales and he retired from playing for Wales, but he was still playing at the time for Blackburn Rovers. And he explains tonight, you know, the state that Wales were in at that time and what they had to implement, and etc. And that happened a few times in his career, which I find interesting um, because I think that Celtic need a bit of a repair job. I think somebody needs to come in and, and look at the whole situation, be that Mark Hughes or someone else. I think it needs to be done. Uh, interestingly enough, you know, Blackburn Rovers, he was flying, got them into Europe, done really well. First FA Cup semi final since 1974. Man City bring them in, world record compo. But then there was a change in ownership at Man City. So you're looking at, at his entire career, and uh, we talk all about it tonight. But again, what I wanted to try and tap into, Tony, was what, what is Mark Hughes and Mark Bowens? Because they're a team. You know, they work together. Bones, the coach. What's their philosophy? What's their, how do they instill a mentality in players? You know, what style? What's their, what would their plans be? What's their European aspirations? I've asked these types of questions. Would they be a good fit for a club like Celtic? Is, is basically where I was going with, with that one. I think you look at Mark Hughes and Mark Bone, as you say, they, they come as a pair. 
Brendan Rodgers and Chris Davis came as a pair. Mm-hmm. So Martin O'Neill, Steve Walford, John Robertson, no threesome. No, but when you see that kind of structure, and these these guys followed those same managers around all of their career, and they're successful, you know they've got something. So I think I think as Lawrence has rightly said, you can't just put that CV in a drawer and say, "Nah, no, thank you." You know, if if you think Mark Hughes would be an upgrade on the current managerial regime, then you have to treat him seriously as a candidate. Mm-hmm. 50-50 out there, but when you start outlining what Mark Hughes has achieved, he's actually done very well as a manager. So it has to be, as you say, in, in the running or in the betting. Do the Celtic fans want him? Then opinion split. But after listening to uh, the podcast tonight, then they might get a, a different view of Mark Hughes. You know, at the moment they probably think, ah, he's trading on his name. He was a great player once and he had, you know, a success at Blackburn before he... You know, and, and it's no no disrespect to Mark Hughes that Man City went in a different direction. They sacked him because he wasn't the best manager in the world, as long as they said. Mm-hmm. You know, that's, you know that's, that's not his fault. You know? So, uh, people, people instantly say, Tony, you remember it yourself, oh, but he bought... Rubinho he bought Rubinho 32.5 from Real Madrid and you've got to realise and you can't pick and choose the players that you claim as being the ones you've identified but again he, did Mark Hughes buy Rubinho was was it really Mark Hughes that wanted to break world records of course it wasn't but I'll tell you who he did buy he bought Vincent Company. but he, he brought in a host of players um, to, uh, Colo Toure was, was a Mark Hughes signing they did okay a Vincent Company that Celtic could have signed yeah when they remember played, when we played against them? Yeah, mm-hmm. Champions League. Liam Miller had a stormer. Yep. Remember, Celtic were notified of company's availability, and I think it was for, somebody might correct me, but a million, a couple of million quid. And the boy was a player. Mm-hmm. No, no, no foresight, no forward thinking. You look at company now, and he's one of them, oh, we could have signed him. Celtic's history and litany of players there's a litany of players like that we could have signed him at an optimum time Vincent Company was every inch of footballer we underlicked he was young he was Robert he was the real deal he was a powerful presence at the back of the pack and as Lawrence has alluded what have we struggled for for years central defenders mm-hmm. centre halves you know and here's this guy you're offered he said you know what this this guy's available. See if your scouting network's right. See if your management structure's right. You don't need to be, you know, you don't need to be a genius to identify that he's a player. And you played against him. Mm-hmm. Somebody notifies you and says, you can, you can sign him. And, and don't do it. I exactly it makes a very good point it's something I'm pretty passionate about as well because I speak a lot about uh, youth football and one of the other shows on a state of mind with the Porty Boot Room Tony could there not be a cross-border under 21 competition you wonder what the clubs are looking at because there seems to be a fair bit of resistance with the Colts team within the, the pyramid as well but I think a very good point is coming in from uh, Jinky J Jinky J coming in through uh, Twitter. Celtic and Rangers teams would provide a decent attendance in their lower leagues. Now, again, as you quite rightly said, Lawrence, uh, obviously the Quality Street gang, this isn't a plug because you can't buy the book, it's not available. Um, I'm not trying to plug the book. But I did find it very interesting that back in 68, um, because the Quality Street gang were so good and uh, Steen was concerned that they wouldn't develop like he wants something to develop because you're trying to dispossess a Lisbon line of their Celtic jersey. So he knew it wouldn't be a wholesale eight guys coming in at the same time, although he thought that they were good enough, he made a proposal um, to, to put the second Celtic side in. And at that time, it was only Division A, Division B. So there was only two leagues. So they would play in the second league. And what they did to try and sell the idea, almost like a, a kind of like travelling roadshow, they would take a Celtic reserve team to the likes of Recreation Park at Alawa and they would go in, and they would play all these different teams. And what Steen was trying to show is not only can we compete, because they were beating these teams. I mean, they were actually defeating these clubs. But the attendances that these clubs were getting was vastly superior to their average attendance. And that's because if Celtic weren't playing, or if they were playing away from home, they might go and just nip in and see Celtic reserves. So that, that I think, is a good point, and it would happen, but I see the resistance coming from the lower leagues, and I don't just mean within the, the top four divisions. So will it ever happen, do you think, in our lifetime, that uh, we have the B teams playing? They've done it in Spain for years, they've done it in other countries, Tony? 
they do it in Holland, don't they? The, the, the Earth Division, where a young Ajax and a young a, a, AZ and a young PSV, you know, they, that's what they're called. They're called John Ajax, John PSV, you know, to, to let you know there's more or less a reserve team, but they're playing in a competitive league because all the other teams are trying to uh, get into the, the top flight, uh, the area division in, in Holland. So it works there. I, I don't. I'm not. I'm not against the the logic of it working. I think Lawrence is right. It could work. I just think there's a lot of uh, hostility towards it. But mm-hmm. some of the benefits you've outlined there is it would bring you know the the lower leagues would get better attendances. But I think those clubs are ambitious within themselves. They don't want to be uh, leapfrogged, you know, in, in their own quest to make make it into the pyramid. So. You know, you have to you have to try and balance that argument, don't you? But if it works in Holland, then why can't it work here? We need to we need to do something, don't we? That's that's a big thing. Let's make a change. Let's be bold. Back then, uh, when it was refused, it came down to a vote from Partick Thistle, believe it or not. Um, and Partick Thistle were concerned that uh, their attendances might be affected by. Celtic fans going to watch the B teams but there you go there you go that that was a situation back then I think it's something we need to think about um, Jeff Payne comes in to say Mark Hughes certainly has the experience but he's been out of a job for a while he has been out of football for a couple of years uh, one of the years was self-imposed but he goes on to tell you obviously Covid uh, knocked his schedule out the way a wee bit as well but it's a name that's out there it's gathering a bit of pace when you look at the bookies odds Lawrence um, if you know it's an ever changing situation, Rafa probably will go to Napoli, you know, if I was to ask you now, who would be the right man or the right team for you, what are you thinking, I know this is an ever changing situation I've heard Tony talk about it before, you've got to aim for the top, look at the, the boy, uh, is it Allegri 10, you've 85 titles, he's out of luck mm-hmm. you know, we can bring him in and see you putting yourself in the shop window here you know, three good years at Celtic, you can get a top six club in England the next time it comes up and you've got a large compensation package so someone like that, uh, I don't know, maybe Dermot Desmond's holding out for, for a summer because COVID's going to change the football landscape this summer. There's a lot of clubs going to be short of money. So maybe he's thinking there'll be a lot more managers on the market. Will the structure of leagues change? Who knows where we're going to be come the summer when clubs are completely out of money? How many clubs are going to go to the wall across Europe? And what kind of effect it's going to have? And what kind of plan you ever have to, to make football more attractive and more sustainable. I don't know. I mean, we pulled out the Atlantic League. What did we do that for? I, and you've got to think, we pulled out of that because there's something else in, in the background. We're not just saying no to that to just stay in Scotland, surely. So, for me, yeah, but back to the question, it'd be the guy at the top, I'm going to the ex manager. Well, Tony, if, um, because obviously... Uh, Kevin coming on earlier on today to explain that he wasn't 100% accurate in what he was saying about uh, people from Celtic Forum fans if you got a phone call and that phone call was from Dermot Desmond uh, what would you ask him? Myself personally? Yes Oh yeah I would ask ask him to tell us if there's going to be a new manager in the club who it is and what's the plan moving forward because there is so much disconnect from the top to you know to the first team to the fans it's unbelievable and they brought it on themselves you know I, I, I this disconnects a bugbear of mine and I was going to start I didn't realise we were going to talk about transfer business but I was going to start with, you know, I implore the board and the management of players of Celtic FC what, what they've done this season has just been incredible and to misquote Thatcher, I'm going to flip Thatcher's 1979 speech on its head. Because where there was union, they brought discord. Where there was truth, they brought error. Where there was faith, they brought doubt. And where there was hope, they brought despair. That's where the Celtic fans are at at this moment in time. That's why you see Facebook and Twitter as an absolute cesspit. Celtic fans are... It's a form of cannibalism now. They're eating and chewing and gnawing away each other because of what the board and management and the players have done this season. It's been mismanaged at the top. It's been they've been underachieving on the park and the players have been underperforming. And now the fans are turning on each other and it's appalling and it's horrible to watch. You win with humility, you lose with dignity. This isn't the way. 
and that's what I'd say to Dermot Desmond. You know, and you've caused this. You guys have caused this. You, you, Celtic have lost their identity almost. They've lost their heart and soul, and they've totally lost their way this season. And, and I get back to that the speech that I gave there. That's exactly what has happened, and the fans are they're they're bearing the brunt of it, and now they're turning on each other, and it's just not the way to behave. You know, I, I just I can't get my head around it. You know, the, you've probably seen the latest Twitter thing with the Neil Lennon and the block on the road sign. Mm-hmm. I mean, really? I mean, regardless of what you think about Neil Lennon, you have to respect him for what he's done for the club and what he's achieved. We spoke many times on this forum that we believe his time's up. But to, to stop coming away with these kind of memes and getting that groundswell to, you know, to kind of, it's fervor, it's angry, we understand your anger. No, but there's a there's better ways and means of portraying that. You have to be intellectual and articulate your thoughts and your feelings. No everybody feels the same way about Neil Lennon. There'll still be people out there who think you should still be in the job. You'd have a hell of a job convincing me. But it's their opinion and I respect that. They have to respect ours and say, Well, we think it's time that you left. But this this the way the fans are it's, it's vile, it's hatred, it's poison. Mm-hmm. I expect better from Celtic fans, to be honest. I'm not blaming Celtic fans. Uh, the, the root cause of this has been the mani- uh, been the board, the management and the players for everything that's happened this season. I can understand them, inventing their spleen and their frustrations, but honestly, I, I just, that's, I'd show Dermot Desmond that because he's probably blissfully unaware of it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. See the big thing for me Tony right What you've said and it's resonating throughout the comments I can see loads of comments coming in I think what you've said there Are the words that many many Celtic fans Have felt for some time And you've, you've obviously put them together There in a, in a perfect manner uh, Which quite frankly I'm not going to try And follow up it's like trying to you know uh, Come on a festival bill After the Rolling Stones in their pomp It's not going to happen um, But the next question for me would be Lawrence Connolly, how do you get back to connecting with your fans? Because I think, Tony, what he said there is 100% correct. How do you get back to a situation where it's no longer us and them? And then, obviously, the, the, the way that it's fragmented within the fan base uh, can, can heal and get better from there. I think it's all, all down to communication. There's, there's been a complete lack of it, which has left a vacuum. Uh, you know, uh, Tony's touched that. Fans are fighting also because there's a vacuum. There's nothing coming back. The club just treated, you know, it is almost treating us with contempt. That there is nothing, there's no communication or any meaningful communication. There's no plan of a way forward, what we're going to do, what we're trying to achieve. They're just leaving an emptiness for people to speculate on. And, you know, it's not good. They need to get back to having some kind of fans home. We've touched on it here. They've got the technology now. This is the easiest time they can communicate with a fan base. You know, we've got the. You know, the past the paradise, they can sign in, they can do, you know, a bigger version of this. They can talk to people, players and Zoom calls. Apparently it's not in front of the players yet. If that was November and it's not in front of the players yet, but in February. But, 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 what is it they have to plan for three and a bit months before putting in front of the players? It's not a hard ask. Listen, players, you know COVID's going on, right? That's not going to be news to the players. You know, we've got some, some people struggling with COVID. That's not going to be news either. Would you mind phoning having a Zoom call with some of our more vulnerable players, even if it's a pre-recorded message from them? See, like, would you mind doing a wee pre-recorded message we want to send out to everyone called Kevin, you know? We can look through the database and go, everybody gets a message addressed to Kevin, it's called Kevin. But we are three and a bit months down the line and it's not being progressed to the players. You know, it's... Where's the block in that? I don't even see it as a difficult decision or not. No, I agree with that. And and you know what? I'd probably go one step further and I wouldn't ask. Um, Under the circumstances, I actually wouldn't be asking the players. But, uh, Tony, I'll I'll throw the question back to yourself. What do you expect will happen from here? Uh, Where is the charm offensive? When is it going to to begin from the club? It has to begin now. Surely, the the moment for it to begin is long past. But how much more can they put up with? You know, how much more do they want to put up with? You know, we're going to limp to the end of this season and they're probably hoping that 
will secure second place. I still can't. What, what happens if they go to Rugby Park tonight and get beat? You know, you're under. And, and there's no guarantee that Celtic are going to win tonight. You know, the Dubai trip was meant to be this bonding session, which was supposed to be your last hurrah, and you're, you're going to try and have a tilt at trying to rescue this, you know, a, a salvage operation on the, you know, a, a, the wreckage of a season. It's been anything but. It's, it's been worse since Dubai, which proved to me that there was clicks in the team. Mm-hmm. You know, it's clear. You know, but this this Dubai trip that they spent four hundred grand on, lavish four hundred grand on, when there's people at the club who've been followed, which is far and away removed from the ethos and the foundations where the club was built on, far and away removed from it. This was supposed to sort everything out, supposedly, and they've come back from Dubai and they've not won a game, have they? One one game at home against Hamilton. You know that that's the thing. See see tonight. I'm actually preparing myself for the worst. So uh, we will be live pre-match, half-time and post-match before we go live. Um, as I was saying before, yeah, we have been speaking to Mark Hughes and Mark Bone. We're not doing a recruitment drive for anybody, but I think um, out of all the candidates I've seen, they certainly are people that I was able to organise an interview with. And I'm sure you'll all enjoy that. I'm hoping to have it out by six o'clock tonight. If I can bear to get onto Twitter after Kevin Graham's faux pas has probably um, sent my notifications through the roof. But he did come back on and apologise and, you know, let's apologise as um, a platform uh, for any misinformation that was put out yesterday on the bulletin. Uh, all that's left for me to say is, as well as thanking everybody for getting involved in the comments, it's been uh, a very busy afternoon for us, is thank you to Lawrence Conley and also to Anthony Haggerty for joining me once again on a Celtic State of Mind. iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. Sports Social Podcast Network. 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 Sports Social Podcast Network.